Hey, good morning. Everyone, if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. It will be coming up on the screens as well, so we'll be able to read through that together. Um, so as Mike's already mentioned, this, uh, what this today sees the start of our week of prayer. Uh, we've got, I think, eight opportunities over the next seven days to be able to gather together uh, with different things to, to focus on in terms of prayer. And, and with that in mind, I've been kind of thinking this week of, of what to bring this morning. Uh, and I really felt, wanted to share something today to kind of launch us, really, into that week of prayer. So it's not just, okay, we've got a, some meetings coming up, but actually to take some time to, to really think about what we're coming to do. Uh, and to as say just to kind of a uh, bit of a launch pad really into what's going to be happening this week. Uh, and the two things that had come to my mind, I was, I was thinking maybe I want to do something on prayer, uh, but I'm like, I also want to do something on Thanksgiving. So I've been, been thinking about that. And then hopefully you've noticed on your, on your seats, there's invitations. So Stepping Stones and Unite have done personal invitations for you to go to the prayer meeting on Friday, where the focus will be on praying for the children and youth and for their families. And Steph sent these through to me, and I read the verse that she put on there, which says, um, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I said to her, I was like, that's exactly the thing I was feeling that I wanted to speak on today. This whole idea of what it is for prayer and thanksgiving coming together. Uh, so we're going to be, um, but so when, when I saw that, I, I was like, brilliant, 1 Thessalonians, and then I thought, hang on a minute, it wasn't that long ago that we actually did a series where we were working through 1 Thessalonians. Like, we, we probably covered this already, and I went back to look through what we covered in that series, and then I remembered we actually didn't get round to doing the last part of chapter 5. Just the way things have worked, we had to kind of put it off, and my intention was to come back to it at another time. And to finish the series off. So today, that's what we're going to be doing. We're actually, it's fitted so well in terms of what, uh, th- those verses that I felt to speak on. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. And we're also going to be, in a way, tying up a series uh, that, that we were doing a little while ago. So that was all good when that came together. Apart from I remembered, I, if, you, if you were here, you might remember, I really struggled with saying the word Thessalonians. So I was like, I thought I'd got over that challenge. Now I'm back in it. But that's okay. Even if I get it wrong, that's fine. Um, and if you... Remember, if you were here when we were working through the series, but just to recap, really, throughout the whole letter that Paul was writing to the church in Thessalonica, there are these two threads that really ran through the whole thing, and this is what the series was based upon, really. The first one is that, for for those who are in Jesus, we've been called by God, we've been saved and transformed by Jesus, now there's a call on our lives to live it out. So there's something about the, the, the call of God and the work of Jesus in our lives that affects the way that we live. Uh, and the second thread that runs through it, if you remember, it kept coming back to is the truth that Jesus is coming back again. And for those of us who are following Jesus and for the church to keep our eyes fixed on the, on the fact that Jesus is going to be coming again and for that to serve as an encouragement for us so that actually the life that we've been called to live, we're doing so with, with our eyes on the fact that Jesus is going to be coming back. So that should be our encouragement to help us to press on into the life that he's called us to. So we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 12, and we're going to read through to the end of that chapter. As I say, it will be up on the screens if you want to follow where you are. And this is what Paul writes. So really, these are are kind of Paul's concluding words and final instructions to the church at the end of the letter. And he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now throughout this letter that Paul has written, the language is really, it's a language of family. Again, if you were here, if you remember that, it's very much about being family and about being community together. And even in these kind of concluding instructions that we've just heard or just read through together, Paul uses the word brothers, or it could be translated brothers and sisters. He uses it five times, just in the short bit. So from that, we can see that actually Paul's focus is on relationships and it's on community. This isn't just about in instructions in terms of how you live out your personal walk with God. Actually, this is about how we walk together in community, about how we relate to one another and what the church is to be like. And through this, we see that he, he, uh, really there's three things that I think he focuses on in terms of what kind of a community we're to be. And the first thing is that uh, we're to be led as a community, how it is as a community to be led. Then he also speaks about how we're to be a community that cares, the way in which we treat one another, look out for one another. And then thirdly, he speaks about the fact that we're to be a worshipping community. And really, that's going to be my focus for today. So there's quite a few verses that we've read, but our focus for today is really going to be on verses 16 to 22, with this idea where Paul is saying, look, you're called to be a worshipping community. And the reason I want to do this, or really my heart behind this, is I want it to increase our expectation of what God has for us, of what it is to be a worshipping community. This is what God has for us. And secondly, I want us to get our hearts and minds in line with God's will for us. Because if our hearts and minds are in line with what God's will is for us, then that will work itself out in, in practice in terms of the way that we live our lives, in terms of the kind of community that we're building here at the community church. And I did think, okay, so what do I want to say in terms of launching us into this week of prayer? And I feel that what we're going to be looking at is going to be really relevant and helpful for us as we think about what we're going to be doing in terms of gathering together in prayer and worship. But the scope of it is much, much bigger than that. I want us to think, yeah, I want it to help encourage us and inspire us in terms of what we're going to be doing this week. But beyond that as well, this is the kind of community that God is willing for us to be. I don't know about you, but I want us to grow into the kind of community that God wants us to be. That we're growing in community in line with the will of God for us. And if God has called us to be a worshipping community, then I want us to look at it and say, so what does that look like? Not just in theory, but in practice. How do we work that out? How do we live that out? So what does a worshipping community look like? Paul starts with this. He says, rejoice always. That's the first thing, what a worshipping community should look like. Rejoice always. And I'm not going to say a huge amount on this today, because really that was the focus very much of last week, wasn't it? When we were finishing the book of Habakkuk and looking at Habakkuk's journey, he got to a place of being able to rejoice in God, and the thing we were, we'll say though, the thing we were thinking of is that having joy or being 
uh, being able to rejoice or being a people who rejoice, the, the challenge comes with this call of rejoice always, doesn't it? Rejoicing always, in every season that we're going through, in every stage of life that we're going through. And we touched on the fact that it's perhaps easier to rejoice in times of peace or prosperity or plenty. But what about when times aren't like that? And actually, we're in times of perhaps uncertainty and distress and where we're lacking. But what we found with Habakkuk, and I think this is very much what Paul's getting at here in his letter as well, is that he's not rejoicing in the quality or quantity of God's blessings in terms of what God is giving him in his life. But he's, he's able to rejoice always because he's rejoicing in God himself rather than the things that God gives. And that's not to say that the things that God gives are bad. They're absolutely not bad. But that's not where this sense of rejoicing was coming from. Coming from. But rather, it was, he was able to rejoice in God. And this is what Paul is calling the, ch- the church to as well. The reason we can rejoice in God is because God never changes. Our circumstances change. We go through different seasons of life, don't we? But God, and we, actually, this is pretty much where Ian was starting at the beginning, was and With different things that were prayed out. God never changes. So actually, over the, the centuries, over the centuries, over the millennia, the people of God have been able to praise and rejoice in God because he doesn't change. Because God is enough. We sing, don't we? Highs, you won't let go. Lows, you won't let go. I will call you faithful. Through the highs, through the lows. That's where our sense of rejoicing comes from. Not in our circumstances or what we see, or even the things that God gives us, but in God himself. And again, this come up today about standing on the promises of God, hasn't it? I think that's what Carrie was sharing, about standing on God's promises. In John 16, verse 19 to 22, this is what Jesus... Uh, this is what Jesus says. So this is what Jesus was saying to his disciples before his crucifixion. He says that Jesus knew that they wanted... Uh, what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. That's what God, that's what Jesus was saying to his followers. You will have joy and no one will take that from you. What a promise that Jesus has given. So actually, when we're we're listening to what Paul is saying here about rejoicing always, we're standing on Jesus' words that actually no one can take your joy from you. Why? Because it's found in God. And not in anything else. And do you remember going back to Habakkuk again? He ends up in a place of praise and worship, doesn't he? That's how he outworks his rejoicing in God. It's through praise and worship. And so we have to look at Paul's words here, not so much as an instruction, but as an invitation to worship. He's saying rejoice always. He's saying, look, here's an invitation. Come and worship God. Come and worship God for who he is. Always, through all circumstances and in every season. So rejoice always. Secondly, pray without ceasing. If, if we think of prayer 
solely as an abstract task or activity that we're meant to do, then we're going to come unstuck when we look at what Paul's instruction is here. Because he says, pray without ceasing. Can you see where I'm coming from? If we think of prayer as it's a task that we, that we have to be doing, but then we're like, but how do, we pray, how do we pray without ceasing? Haven't we got other things in life that we need to be getting on with? So how can it be that we're called to pray, but to pray without ceasing? I don't, Paul's not made a mistake here. But rather we need to, I think then the challenge is, or the, the thing that needs to change is our understanding of what prayer is. Mike Reeves, I found him really helpful on this. He's written a book called Enjoy Your Prayer Life. I think we worked through it as a church a few, season, a, a few years ago and we gave out copies of this book. A small book about prayer. Enjoy your prayer life. And I said, he's been really helpful. I found him really helpful. Because he, when he's talking about what it is to pray without ceasing, he says, actually we can have all different sorts of conversations, can't we? Depending on who we're talking with. We have conversations with friends, conversations with family. Sometimes it's by text or by email. Or it could be a nice just a, a time together, just chatting over things. And he says it's helpful if we think of that in terms of what it is to pray to God. That we can have all different sorts of conversations with God. We don't need to try and fit God in like it's something different to the rest of life. So we're living life. Hang on a minute, I've got to fit some time in with God to pray. Actually, we can converse with God in all different sorts of ways. So prayer isn't just an abstract task. It's not just an activity that we're called to do. Rather, prayer is about communion with God. Okay, so it's about relationship with God. It's about continual personal relationship with God. It's about an awareness of being continually in his presence. And it's an awareness of our total dependence on him in all circumstances. Really, that's what it is to pray continually. It's about an awareness of continually being in fellowship with God. Continually realising our dependence on God throughout the day, through everything that the day holds with us. We can be in that mindset or that awareness of prayer. And again, Mike Reeves, he makes this great observation. He's like, so that's what it is to pray without ceasing. But yeah, we do need those times where we set time aside to come and be with God. And we need those times where we come together as family to pray to God. And the reason is, is because relationships only grow when you give each other quality time. And that's really impacted me in terms of prayer. Actually, there are those times where we just need that real quality time with God in order for that relationship to grow. And so for us heading into this week, really what we're doing as a church as we gather together, this week of prayer, it's not just some sort of activity or task that we think because we're a church we should get together and pray because that's what we're meant to do. No, actually, this week is about us having quality time with God. Being in his presence, being aware of our total dependence on him. So, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks. We should be a community who always give thanks to God. This is a char- should be a characteristic of God's people. That there are people that give thanks to him. But we need to note really carefully the way that Paul's worded this. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. And we need to understand that. Because I know in my life I've had circumstances that I'm not thankful for. At all. And in a way, why why should I be thankful for them? And I'm sure you can all relate to that. Having circumstances in your life, like actually I don't feel thankful for this. Thankfully, that's not what Paul's asking us to do. You don't have to be thankful for all circumstances, but you can still be thankful in the circumstances in which you find yourself. 
I saw a video in the week uh, related to the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl is the, the championship game for American football. Though it's not a, this isn't a sporting illustration, so just, it's all good. So we have uh, th this video from the Super Bowl. And what happened was there was this guy who had gone out onto the streets and he'd found some, some homeless men and he'd invited them to come and watch the game with him. And what he'd done, uh, it was in, in, a, in a big sports club, I think a big sports bar, and he'd sectioned, he'd kind of got this reserved section in this club for these guys. And he'd brought in a load of food, a load of refreshments, he'd brought them t-shirts with the team on and everything. And it came in, and just even if it was just for that one evening, it was this chance for these guys to come and to watch the game and to enjoy themselves for that evening. I thought it was a really wonderful gesture for him to do, a really great thing to do, and you could see what it meant to these guys. But there was this bit in this video where they'd gone to get their food, and they came in, they sat down, and in this video, a number of these men, so a number of these guys who'd been living on the streets, got their food, and they prayed. And they gave thanks to God for the food that they had. And I stopped the video there, because it, it really stopped me in my tracks. Firstly, because they were giving thanks to God in circumstances that I wouldn't think that they were actually, they weren't grateful for the circumstances themselves. I wouldn't expect them to be grateful for the fact that they were living on the streets. But in the midst of the circumstances, they were still able to thank God for something that he'd given. So there was that. But then it also made me realise that it's also possible for us not to give thanks when we have plenty or when things are going well. Because we can just think, we can take things for granted. And that was another reason why it stopped me. I was like, hang on a minute. These guys, in what they were lacking were able to give thanks. How many times in seasons of plenty have I not given thanks because I'm just taking it for granted? So we need to do both. Giving thanks in, in all circumstances and in every situation in which we find ourselves. In all, in all circumstances. So whether times of celebration or grief, in times of plenty or in times where we're lacking, we need to look back to God. Romans 8, 28-29 says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we can be thankful in all circumstances because we know that in all circumstances, God is with us and is working all things for good for those who love him. That's what it says in Romans, isn't it? God is working all things for good for those who love him. But he doesn't stop there. He, says, he continues, what, what are these good things that God is working for us? Because we're coming more like Jesus. Because we're being shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So actually, through all circumstances, whatever circumstances we're finding ourselves, actually God is working all things for good. The biggest thing of all being that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. So actually, there are things that we can give thanks for in all seasons. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not saying this flippantly or just like, I recognise that this is hard because I know in my own life that this is hard. But again, I'm standing on what the Word of God says and the Word of God says that God is working all things for good. So actually in the midst of seasons that I don't particularly feel are good, I can still give thanks to God for the work that He's doing. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. These three things can, can kind of be summarised by this, is there a constant awareness in your life that God is present? Is there a constant awareness in your life that God is present? If there is, then these three things um, will, will flow out of that.
And these three things become harder if we feel that God is distant or if we feel that God is absent. But Romans 8 verse 9 tells us that for those in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's taken up residence in you. So is there an awareness of, the, of, of God? Is there an awareness of the presence of God? Is there an awareness that God is present in your life? Actually, Romans tells us that by his Holy Spirit, God lives in you. He's taken up residence in you. He is present through all circumstances. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because God will never leave us. We can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. You see, we can be joyful in all circumstances because we know we're not alone. We can pray at all times because God is always with us. And we can give thanks in all circumstances because we have a helper who is working all things for good in our lives. But can you see, we're not st- none of that really is about standing on ourselves or on our circumstances. It's all about the relationship that we have with God, isn't it? That's where, that's where our attention and our eyes are to be fixed. You see, I, I think these three things, so being a people who rejoice, being a people who pray, being a people who are able to give thanks in all circumstances, to me, that's an attractive thing. That's the kind of people I want us to be. But maybe we can wonder, actually, how, how can we get to this place? And the wonderful thing is that when God says these things to us, it's not like he's, you know that whole idea of the carrot and the stick, where you're chasing after something but never quite able to get it. It's a way of getting you to behave in a certain way, but never quite getting what's promised. God's not like that. I think if he's calling us to be a worshipping community that looks like rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, then it's because it's something that we can take hold of, not just a tease of this is what you might have if you work hard enough, it's actually this is what I've got for you. This is what I want for you. And the reason I can say that is because Paul writes, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This kind of community and being able to do those things, that is the will of God. That is God's gift to you. That is what God wants for you. That's God's heart for us as a church. His heart for us is that we're a worshipping community that look like the people that Paul's describing. And I think it's helpful for us to be reminded again that the Christian life isn't a life, is, sorry, it is a life that is lived from a place of acceptance rather than a life lived in order to gain acceptance. Because these things aren't about if you, pray, if you praise enough, if you pray enough, if you give thanks enough, then something will shift in terms of your relationship with God and you're, you're acceptable as a community. It's not that. It's because you've been accepted by God out of the overflow of that. Then you can be a people that rejoice and you can be a people that praise and you can be a people that give thanks in all circumstances. And that's why Paul says that he says, for the will of God, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It's about us being in Christ. It's about having Christ at the centre. It's about our lives being built upon the foundation of who he is and of what he has done for us. 
Because if we don't have Christ at the centre, how can we do this? How can we be a community that worships in the way that Paul is doing if we're not building our lives on Jesus? It's not going to be possible. Because whatever else we might build our lives upon, if those things are shaken or taken away, what have we got? But our footing is on Jesus, on his work, and on the person of who he is, and our standing in him. And that will never be shaken. Which means that we can live that life based on that foundation. What if we were to put money at the centre of our lives and build our lives on that? What if we were to put family and build our lives on that? What if we were to put our career and that was the thing we were building our lives on? None of those things are bad things. But if that's the foundation we're building on, and if we're saying, actually, I'm going to be able to rejoice and pray and give thanks in all circumstances, what if circumstances dictate that where we once had money, we don't have money? Or where relationship with family is good, now isn't so good? Or where something's gone wrong in our career. We're going to be on shaky ground then, aren't we? But not if we build, if we have Christ at the centre and build upon the foundation. You see, this is not just about activity. It's not just that we're to be a church that has, we have times of rejoicing and we have times of prayer and we have, joy, uh, we have times of thanksgiving. Actually, this isn't about activity, but it's about culture. This is about the culture of worship that God is calling us to and calling us to have. Does that make sense? It's not just about activity. It's not just like, okay, so we've come and we've done this this week and we've worshipped and we've prayed and, and actually we, we, we need to make time for these things so we need to be deliberate about these things but it's more than that. It's, it's a cultural thing. What kind of culture are we wanting to, to build as a church? I want us to build a worshipping culture. I want us to be a worshipful community. I want us to, to have a culture of praise and prayer and thanksgiving not just in the set meetings and things that we're having it but that when it becomes a culture it permeates into every area of what you're doing doesn't it so it's about having a culture i think it's possible for us to experience less than what god has for us that's quite a sobering thought it is possible for us to experience less than god has for us The reason I say this, partly the reason I say this, is because Paul goes on to say, do not quench the spirit. That word quench would be the same word we would use in terms of, you know, throwing water to put out a fire. So if he's saying don't quench the spirit, then it's possible that we do quench the spirit. And we don't allow the spirit to move as he would want among us. Which is why I'm saying if we're not allowing the spirit to come and move and work among us, then it's possible to miss out or or to almost settle for less than what God has for us. And to not step into everything that God has for us. I want us to be a people that press into everything that God has for us. So we need to think about what Paul is saying here. And and heed this warning. Don't quench the spirit then. If we're going to be a worshipping community. we We need the Holy Spirit to lead us. To equip us. To empower us. We need the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts. And to shape us. And to change us more and more. Into the likeness of Jesus. We spoke about being a people that rejoice always. But Galatians 5.22 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not something that we work up. We don't work joy or rejoicing up out of our own resources or out of what we have. It's the Holy Spirit who produces that in us. So we don't want to quench him, do we? Or we don't want to stop him from doing what he wants to do. Or hinder him in what he wants to do. Likewise, with prayer, let's go back to Romans 8. 
So why do we need the Spirit to move among us when we come to pray? Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even when we come to pray, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. I often will come to, come to pray and be like, I don't actually know what to pray, or I don't have words. But then the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. I've already mentioned a bit earlier in, in this sermon that the Holy Spirit lives in us. But in Ephesians 2.22, it also says that the Holy Spirit is with us corporately. or It says together... We are being built together to be a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So the church is a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So if the Spirit is living, with, living in us and we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, with the emphasis on this is where the Spirit of God is, why would we quench him or hinder him in doing what he wants to do among us? If we're to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, then to me that speaks of actually we are totally dependent on the Spirit on what he wants to come and do among us and to build us into the church that he wants us to be. So we're to be a community where God dwells by the Spirit. And again, Paul's warning is that we can quench the Spirit, experience or living in less than what God has for us. And this was the danger that the church in Thessalonica found themselves. They were missing out on some of what God has for them. Within Relational Mission, they've got a theology forum. So some men and women that gather together to discuss various things, what the Bible would say and how that relates uh, to us today. And uh, I think it was back in 2017, they sent a bit of a report back in terms of what they'd been looking at when they'd met. And a big thing was about the way that we, the terminology we use when we speak about the Holy Spirit. So in meetings, we can say, right, we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit. Or we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. And they're saying actually it can, be, it, can be, it can be unhelpful. Because if we talk like that, it makes it sound like we have to wait for the Holy Spirit to turn up. That he's somewhere else, but we have to invite him to come in. They're saying actually when we say something like, come Holy Spirit, or we welcome you Holy Spirit. What we're saying isn't, will you come and be with us? Because he's already in us. We've looked at that, haven't we? He's in us individually. He's within us corporately. What we're actually doing is we're asking him to move and to work and to act amongst us. He's here. But actually, when we say, Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, what you welcome here? We're saying, Holy Spirit, come and do what you want to do among us. That is the opposite of quenching the Spirit. That is saying, Holy Spirit, come and have your way among us and do what you need to do, what you want to do. And Paul then singles out prophecy as one of the ways in which we can quench the Spirit. Prophecy being the, the truth, being how it's God speaking to his church. Okay, And Paul singles it out. He says, actually, um, it's possible to despise prophecy. Don't despise it. And you can understand for the church in Thessalonica, actually, in, in the city in which they lived, there were demonic prophecies that were going on as part of other religions. So you can understand, actually, that there might be a bit of nerviness there for them. Maybe wanting to keep prophecy a bit of arm's length because of the implications it's got with other things that are going on in the city. But Paul's saying, I understand what's going on, but don't despise, all, don't despise prophecy just because of what's happening over here. Because if you despise prophecy, you're going to be missing out on hearing what God is saying. Why? Because God has not finished speaking to you yet. 
Rather, what we need to do is to be able to distinguish the genuine from the counterfeit. Which is why Paul says that we're to test it. We're to test prophecy. So when God is speaking, if someone feels like, actually God's put something on my heart, we hear what they have to say and we weigh it and we test it. Because we want to hold on to what is genuine and we want to let go of what is false and what is counterfeit. The ways in which we can test prophecy, a few ideas. Firstly, scripture, does it line up with what scripture says? That's probably the most important one. Does what is, being, is what is being brought, does it line up with Scripture? Secondly, 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5 tells us that prophecy is for the upbuilding or the encouragement or the consolation of the church. So it should be something that encourages and builds people up. So that's what you're looking for when someone brings a prophetic word. And then thirdly, I would say, is how is it received? So in terms of how, when you hear it, what is the Spirit saying to you? How do you receive it? I know sometimes I hear things, I'm just, it, doesn't, it feels like it doesn't feel right in my spirit. Does that make sense? You can just that sense of actually as I receive it, how do, how do I feel about it? And do I feel actually, yeah, this is something of the spirit or not? So there's a few ways in which we can test prophecy, but we need to do that together. So we want to hear. Yeah, okay, we want to hear what God is saying, but we don't just take everything as is. There's that process of discernment that we need to go through. And then Paul says, hold fast to what is good, let go of anything that's not. I've been sharing recently a lot about how I've, over recent months, I've really been holding on to words that God has been speaking. And as I've done so, I'll kind of, it's what Paul's saying, isn't it? So don't despise prophecy, but hold on, test everything, but hold on to what is good. And I've been holding on to these things that God has been saying. And what I've found is, is that as I'm holding on to the things that God has said, it helps me to rejoice. It helps me to pray. It helps me to give thanks in circumstances because God's speaking to me in the midst of the circumstances. And so I can see how all of these things that Paul is saying are are working together. So a community of worship, it looks like rejoicing always, praying constantly, giving thanks to God in all circumstances and listening to him speak. It's about an awareness in your life that God is present, not just individually, but as a community. Because we can take these things and apply them individually, and we should do. But remember, Paul's writing to the church. This is about community. Phil Moore, in his commentary, he really helpfully speaks of contagious community. That the church should be a contagious community. Uh, that, if there's, that, that the church should... Uh, how If it's always joyful and grateful towards God, then there's something courageous when people look in and have a look at that kind of... A community. He says, instead of being known for wagging an accusing finger at their sinful city, churches should be known for raising their hands towards the Lord in constant worship for all he has done for them. When time, this is a challenge. When times are hardest, such churches become even more contagious because only the gospel can make a person be thankful in every circumstance. So if we're a kind of church that Paul is calling us to be, if we're the kind of church that in all circumstances can raise our hands to God and give thanks and and rejoice in him and to pray, what does that say to the outside world when they look in? It's only the good news of the gospel that can help us to rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances. Um, Fillmore goes on to say that churches like this, uh, or, or churches like this, where the gospel is presented like this, will also catch the intention of our unbelieving world. He says that when people with a courageous lifestyle 
and a courageous hope gather together in courageous community, the gates of hell cannot resist the gospel they claim. I'll say that again. When, the pe- when people with a contagious lifestyle and a contagious hope gather together in courageous community, the gates of hell cannot resist the gospel they claim. We need to work this out together. We need each other to, to remind one another of who we are and of what God has said. We need each other to encourage one another and to spur one another on. I think that's why Paul's focus is so much on community because we can't do this by ourselves. It's not me being defeatist. I think that's me just being real. We need one another to be able to do this. Particularly if I'm in a season where I don't feel thankful, I don't feel like rejoicing, I don't feel like praying. Do you know what I need? I need people to draw alongside me and to remind me of who I am and of who God is. I need people to encourage me. I need people to spur me on. I need people to say, how about we pray together? How about we think of something together about what we can give thanks for? We need one another. So this week, I wanted to share this today because I wanted to raise our expectations about what God has for us heading into this week. But I also want us to align ourselves with God's will for us. I want this week to be marked by rejoicing, by prayer, by thankfulness, by God speaking and by the Holy Spirit moving. Just going to say this to finish. Just going back to Mike Reeves again. We need the Holy Spirit to move this week. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us as we gather to pray this week. Because Mike Reeves, he says that the Spirit brings us together in fellowship with God. He says that when friends decide to pray sincerely together, through it, you can often get to sense an extraordinary familial closeness with each other. You are being family together. That's what this week is. It's about being family together. Reeves continues. He says that prayer for each other is sharing our Father's compassion, but prayer with each other is being family, and it fosters the unity that our God loves. I'm aware that there'll be people, for, for various reasons, I think people will be able to make some meetings, but not all. Some might be able to make all. Others might not be able to make any, for whatever reason. And that's okay. We don't want to be like, you have to, you know, kind of like, you have to be there. Actually, we want you to be there, but I'm aware that it's not always possible. But I want this word to be for you as well. This isn't just about when people are gathering. And actually, what we're going to do throughout the week is we're going to look at ways where we can just keep people in the loop with what's going on so actually we can be praying by ourselves or we can be praying if we meet up with other people in the week or we can be praying as we gather together but also it's not just for this week it's how we can continue to pray beyond that but this message about being a worshipping community yeah I wanted to bring it before we head into this week so I want us to be encouraged and I want us to align ourselves with what God's will is for us because I want us to really press into him for everything he has this week but it's got to go far beyond just a week my prayer is that as a church, as a community we grow ever more in our worship that we realise that this isn't something that's out of our reach, this is something that God has for us and for us to keep moving towards and pressing towards why? because this is the will of God for us in Christ this picture that Paul's presented to us this is God's will for us as a church in Faversham so let's raise our expectations 
of what God wants to do with us. You might feel, actually, I don't feel like we're there yet. Or maybe in certain areas we're, we're doing better than others. That's okay. We're at, we are where we are, right? But actually, we want to keep growing into the... And every church would be able to say that about themselves. But we want to keep growing into the worshipping community that God calls us to be. So my prayer is that we grow ever more into being a contagious community as well. Don't we want to be the kind of church where people would be able to look in and say, actually, how were they able to rejoice and give thanks and pray in, in circumstances that are going on? So we want to be a courageous community and we want to be a worshipping community. Can I pray for us?